0: Adam Schefter Podcast. We'll be joined by the executive director of the NFL Players Association, D. Smith, who's had a busy offseason negotiating a new 10-year collective bargaining agreement and now being at the forefront of a task force that will determine when and if players can go back and play football again. And we'll be joined by the team physician for the University of Michigan and the Detroit Lions, Dr. Ashish Betty as he talks about what it's like to go through this challenging offseason and what it will take to get the players back. And, of course, the Dallas Cowboys are in the news, as always, with Dak Prescott's contract and the man who spearheads those contract negotiations, Jerry Jones. And last week, the NFL owners had a virtual league meeting where they had the owners of each of the 32 teams on a Zoom call. And a lot of people don't realize this, but they were doing the roll call on zoom. And at that moment, one of the NFL league officials called for the cowboys owner, Jerry Jones, who was on the zoom call. And someone from the league office said that Jerry must be on mute because they couldn't hear him at that particular moment. And then the Browns owner, Jimmy Haslam joked and I quote, they should keep Jerry on permanent mute, close quote. But Jimmy himself wasn't on mute when he said it, and all the owners heard Jimmy Haslam say that they should keep Jerry on permanent mute. His words, not mine. Now, they got it corrected, and eventually they all joined the call, and they all got unmuted. But even that shows you that sometimes the NFL owners can struggle with these Zoom calls, and who's muted, and who's not. And I don't know whether Jimmy Haslam realized he wasn't on mute, and Jerry Jones was on mute, but the fact of the matter is, it created a very funny, light moment for the other NFL owners who got a kick out of Jimmy Haslam's comments last week as they tried to get Jerry Jones on that conference call. Now, Jerry Jones has another issue on his hands with Dak Prescott. Now, they have Talked contract for, what, over a year now? And no deal has been able to get done. And basically, the biggest disagreement is that Dak Prescott wants a four-year contract. And the Cowboys wanted to sign a five-year contract. Now, here we are at the end of May. It's not done. The talks have gone on as long as they have. let's just say that this tells you that these talks are going to go down to the wire. These talks now are expected to last until right around the deadline, July 15th, of whether they can get a long-term deal done. And so all the talk that we've had for over a year about whether DAC is going to get a deal or not get a deal, I would think that's going to continue right up until July 15th. And come July 13th, 14th, 15th, right before the days of that deadline, the talk of DAC getting a new deal will dominate the sports headlines at that point in time, whether or not these two sides can figure out a way to get a deal done. And there's a lot at stake there. And also a lot at stake because, again, we don't know whether the salary cap is going to be flat in 2021 or even potentially go down if there are no fans in the stands. And we're going to have D. Smith on, and he's going to address – Some of the revenue discussions that are going to take place between the NFLPA and the NFL, but it's fair to say that NFL teams are not going to have 100% attendance of fans this season if we're fortunate enough to get a 16-game schedule at all. And so that's going to impact the salary cap. Now, I did have one person, one league source tell me this week that, hey, it's possible that the cap could drop $40 million in 2021, and what the league would do then perhaps is defer that over the course of four years. So you're looking at the cap dropping $10 million in each of the next four years to account for that $40 million loss. And again, no one knows the numbers. No one knows how many fans will or won't attend. But I think everybody would agree that it's going to be difficult, if not challenging, for the NFL to make all the revenue it normally would expect to make. And because of that, it's going to impact the cap in future years. And because the cap is going to be impacted at least in 2021 and maybe beyond, that is going to impact the type of contract that a Dak Prescott or a Patrick Mahomes or a Deshaun Watson is going to get. So these are some of the coming issues. And for those discussions, I can assure you that Jerry Jones will not be on mute. All right, Jalen and Jacoby, the after show continues this Sunday. Following Lance Part 2, as they speak to the director, Marina Zenovich, Lance is an ESPN 30 for 30 film, Lance Armstrong's rise and fall in the sports world. Hear from Armstrong himself in a film that insists the audience makes its own interpretation on one of the biggest doping scandals in history. If you missed Part 1 of Lance, it's available to stream on ESPN+. And before we get to the executive director of the NFL Players Association, D. Smith, first a word from AT&T. I know there's a lot going on right now in the world and we're all shopping online. I just saw that AT&T started doing two really helpful things for those who want to buy a new phone or device online. They're offering fast, free, no contact delivery and curbside pickup so that online shopping is as simple and safe as possible. On top of that, they have a flexible return policy so you can shop at ease. You can visit AT&T.com to learn how to shop online online. From the safety of your home 24-7, subject to change, restrictions apply. And now, for the first guest on this week's Adam Schefter podcast, a man making his inaugural debut here, the Executive Director of the NFL Players Association, D. Smith. This podcast, the Adam Schefter podcast, made its debut over three years ago, and this is the inaugural appearance of of the executive director of the NFLPA, D. Smith. That tells me that we finally <laughs> arrived when we finally have on the big dog making his first appearance on the podcast.
1: Uh, th- that only means that you've clearly run through every possible person to talk to and you waited <laughs> until now to call me. That That's fine. But, no, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Good to talk to you, brother.
0: We are honored to have you, and I appreciate you coming on. We've had Dr. Mayer on an awful lot to educate the public about where we are in this COVID crisis. What has this been like for you, working from home, working virtually, with the off season taking on a very different tone and course than it usually does?
1: Yeah, look, it's 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 been uh, very good. I think that part of um, you know the the blessing that I have. Um, is a great staff, um, a tremendous group of people to work with. The NFLPA really hasn't missed a beat. Um, and part of leadership is certainly transitioning, um, into a world where you continue to perform at a, at a really high level. Um, even though the circumstances may change. So I'm really proud of our staff, um, and, uh, our group, including Dr. Mayer and our, our team, they've done a fantastic job and we basically rolled out of a, um, CBA ratification into, uh, you know, the world of the business of sports uh, during a global pandemic.
0: You bring up the CBA ratification, you bring up the business of sports in a global pandemic. We're going to get to all that. Going into this pandemic, how adept were you at technology? Were you able to go on a Zoom meeting, all those things like that? (laughs) Uh,
1: Yes. I mean, you know, I travel. um, I think the understatement would be a lot. So, you know, the the way in which we conduct our business, um, we have any number of people uh, in various places all the time. So uh, moving to a world where it was purely virtual um, was somewhat seamless. Um, and for me, just to be, you know, completely selfish, um, it's nice to have, you know, my family home and everybody's together and being able to start at, you know, a, a pretty decent clip in the morning and not have to get on a plane or a train, um, and, and just get the work done has been, um, a little bit easier on my older body. So I can't <laughs> complain about that. Uh, but again, the staff has done a great job, um, in, in connecting us. Um some things work a little bit better, some things work a little bit slower, but we're getting the work done.
0: Your family's not used to seeing you this much, I would imagine, in person.
1: Uh clearly. And uh I I consider that to be um, you know, a, a give and take. Um I'm I'm generally pushed outside uh to conduct business if it's over fifty degrees and so far the key to my house still works. So uh, <laughs> as long as they let me continue to live in the house, I think I'm up. But that's a daily a daily measure.
0: We we've all gone through this, right? It's just it's just very strange. I'm usually going to Bristol once a week, once every other week, whatever it may be in the off season. Not going there, being around my family, playing card games at the kitchen table, cutting my son's hair, having my son cut my hair. <laughs> I, I mean, just some weird times here. I got to be honest with you, you know, aside from the fact it that is. hair growing, it everywhere.
1: is, but <laughs> But it's great. I, I think, um, you know, all of us have certainly played more board games and, and working out together. I haven't been able to work out with my son since he was in high school, which is, which is fun. If I, if I can just live through the workouts, that would be great. But, um, yeah, you know, the fact that you, you have your nuclear family back together and, you know, it, it, it sort of seems like they're little kids again, except, you know, they, they eat more and, and at least one of them can participate in cocktail hour. I,
0: I, I, that, 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 I understand that my son said <laughs> having a beer at the kitchen table is very odd. Like w- w- you know, he's, yeah. What, what the heck is going on here? Just a very strange uh, phenomenon. You wonder what the fallout, the changes to our life and work styles will be going forward. Because I guarantee you, people are not going to just go back to the way they did business. It's going to have an impact on things going forward, and it'll be curious to see 100%. how that, that that shakes out. Sure. Now, during during this pandemic, Dave. The NFLPA has put together a task force separate from the NFL's, a group of scientists and medical experts and researchers who are advising you and the NFLPA president, J.C. Treder on what is needed to advocate for and to keep players safe uh, during the coming season. What have you learned from that task force uh, as it impacts players playing this season?
1: Well, you know, the, the overall lesson is, that um, it's very difficult to make decisions in the context of an emerging um, and novel virus. I know you've heard that a lot from from Dr. Mayer, but um, the reality is we still don't know a lot about this virus. We know a lot more than we did um, in from early January through March. Um, you know, but I think the overall lesson that I have um, is I'm you know extremely confident that we have the right people that they're asking the right questions, um, and that we're working towards the right answers of how to um, how to employ our duty as a union um, and how we can understand um, um, maintaining and 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 making sure of their health and safety in a in a, in a paradigm that is continuously changing and, um, that certainly doesn't make it easier, but the comfort level that we have the right people and that we're asking the right questions and getting the right answers is, is really a, really a a big comfort.
0: You heard some baseball players worry about the conditions in which they'll be playing. I haven't heard that as much from basketball players, a little bit, but not quite as much as baseball players. And on Monday morning, the Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross, said on CNBC that he thinks their, quote unquote, definitely will be a football season this year. Are you with him on that front?
1: Um, you know, I don't I don't I certainly didn't talk to Steve. Um, uh, it usually kind of works that way with me and NFL owners. I know that's not going to come as a surprise, but, um, you know, I think that the way we are looking at it is how does our um, internal task force inform us to engage with the league on these macro issues. Um, how does our task force uh, prepare us to engage in any collective bargaining that we might have to do? And, and lastly, how does this task force put us in a position to make sure that every decision that we have to make is done with an eye towards um, within the best interest of the NFL players. So When it comes to a broad statement like, um, is there going to be a season? Um, Does the season start on time? What does the season look like? Um, I think that we're going to rely more on what the task force has to say and what our joint task force with the league says rather than engaging in any broad pronouncements uh, right now. And there
0: are no broad pronouncements you could make about a season starting on time, anything like that? Is there anything specific?
1: <laughs> you know, I, Adam, I, you know, look, and, and I would love to. I, I think the only broad pronouncement I could make is <clears throat> we're going to make decisions, uh, based on the science. We're going to let the, the research and the medical information guide what we're going to do. And, and that's probably the, the only broad pronouncement I can make. And I, I think that given, um, what we know about decisions to be made, um, that have a lot to do with the spread of this virus, um, the number of people who are um, um, getting sick, um, the, the the level of illness that they're suffering. Um, unfortunately, looking at whether or not there are um, increase or spikes in death and then looking at what's happening in numerous geographic areas, there's just a myriad of factors that we have to, um, constantly evaluate in order to make sure that we're making the right decisions. and I, I think making <clears throat> broad pronouncements about what's going to happen is is difficult, if not impossible, because you and I both know that things could change drastically in in not only thirty days but in ten days. So I, I think the smart thing to do is to certainly plan uh, well to make sure that we look at all of the the issues, including the ethical and moral issues. Um, and then make a decision based on the information we know at the time.
0: Let me go the other way a little bit for you, Dave. Is there any question or concern in your mind that there won't be a season?
1: Well, um, there th- there really isn't uh, a question or concern about there not being a season um, because I look. I, I start from the the proposition that um, football, uh, and, and I know. Um, I, I could be saying this and, and struck by lightning that I'm talking to, to you on one of the most popular yeah. sport shows with one of the most popular sports figures, but, um, uh, football is not an essential, um, industry. And that's where we start. Um, I know that we have a lot of fans that certainly love it. We have players who want to play, fans who want to watch. Um, and, and we all get that. But I do know that football in and of itself has evolved over over decades and, and generations, we have figured out ways in which to um, either play or not play sports, depending on natural disasters, natural occurrences, things that have happened um, in our community, things that have happened in the world. We've always figured out a way uh, to manage what's what's going on with um, our love of sports. Sometimes that means that games aren't played. Sometimes that means that, that that the schedule is changed or moved, but you know what we we have done is we've always figured out a way to adapt, and I am far more comfortable with um, um, an understanding that we may be able to adapt um, to what's going on in the world uh, with our sport. But I, I'm not very comfortable with the opposite. I'm, I'm not very comfortable. With any position um, that says we're going to become, you know, ignorant or dismissive of the impact of this virus um, in America, and somehow, you know, bullheadedly go on um, ignoring everything that that we can change to keep players safe, or we can change uh, to keep fans safe, or we should change in order to make sure that our communities are safe.
0: Well. Well, keeping in mind that players, fans, and community should be safety, I also would argue, and of course, I guess I'm coming at this from a biased perspective, but I would argue that football is an essential business. How about that? Because of the entertainment value it provides to the number of people on Sundays, the element of the people looking forward to it during the week. How about all the business it generates in the respective cities and all the people that are affected in the football economic bubble, so to speak, I would argue that that does make it essential. Am I off base there?
1: Well, you know, I I like you as a friend, but I think the answer is yes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Um, You know, I I think there's a difference between something that's important and and something that's essential. Yeah. Um, I I can't look at, you know, a nurse or a doctor or a police officer or someone who's involved in... um, you know, our, our food supply chain, uh, researchers, physicians. Um, I can't look at them and say you are essential and then take sports and and put it side by side and say that's that true. they're just as, a, you know what I mean? So I, I think there's a difference between something that's important um, and, and something that's essential, but you make a great point. Um, there are nobody, you know, I think in this business, in the football business, um probably has more of an appreciation of the impact of football um in the business of football on people who work in our industry um, I represent the, the the most valuable uh group of people in that industry and that and that's the, the players who actually play and and suffer a 100% injury rate um, we've always stood shoulder to shoulder with Unions like Unite Here and, and the Teamsters um, and the Culinary Workers, and those are people who work in our stadiums, work in our auditoriums, um, and, and service um, our facility. I, you know that I spent a long career as a prosecutor, so I certainly uh, have an affinity and, and, and still remain connected to a large group of people who work in law enforcement. So um, there isn't um, a day where I don't understand um, the importance of this business and how it affects people beyond just watching the sport, um, and and I think that that's one of the reasons why um, you know I made a decision to to bring a, an ethicist on board of our task force because for the same reasons that this sport is important to that, um, I do think that we have a moral ethical obligation to be aware of the impact of what we do um, on the communities that that we're playing in and and the communities where football is taking place those are questions that we have to ask yeah and i bring
0: it up because there was an owner of another sports team that i spoke to a couple of weeks back and he was saying do you realize the impact of one of these games like there's all the people that are working in the stadium, people selling concessions, the people that supply the food for the concessions, the cleanup workers, the parking lot attendants, all the people that are involved in that economic ecosystem, so to speak. And that's why I say, well, to me, in a way, they are essential. And I understand essential, I guess, is reserved for the people that you're talking about because what they do truly is essential. But in a way, I look about. I look at football as an entertainment essential item. Essentially. Entertaining or to me, it becomes very important in our society.
1: Yeah, and I, I think you and I can always agree that it's going to be important. And you know, certainly, it 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 brings a, a level of distraction, a level of inspiration. What what people are doing in a world where you have to understand that that you know what we're seeing and and what we're being able to participate in as a as a group is important. Uh, I think our country has always been at its best when it has thought about um, how what we do impacts others.
0: Now, one of the other things that Stephen Ross said today or on Monday is the real question is whether there'll be fans in the stadium. And I think a lot of people don't expect there to be fans in the stadium early on, assuming there is football. And if that is indeed the case, D, then there would be an economic impact to that. We've seen in the other sports Basketball players having to take a pay cut of 25% for the remainder of the season. Uh, We've seen baseball players having discussions in which they are at a standstill over right now and can't seem to resolve between baseball players and owners. Do you envision there being talks between the NFLPA and the NFL about what would happen if there are no fans and there would be? A revenue shortage in the sport that yeah. usually doesn't have that at all?
1: Yeah, well, certainly there will be conversations with the league um, in the context of collective bargaining um, over the impact of revenue. We have a force majeure clause in our collective bargaining agreement. You know, we thankfully uh, have an agreement in place for the next 10 years um, that allows us a uh, allows the players to have a definitive concrete, you know, paradigm in which to talk about work, health and safety, and, and to your point, revenue. So our provision requires both parties to bargain in good faith over the impact on the salary cap. And I'm sure that that will occur, but you know, the good news is that we will have that content, uh, that conversation. Um, In a frame of a collective bargaining agreement, that's that's very good for the players, um, um, as opposed to being in a world where we would either be in the the last year of a collective bargaining agreement, trying to negotiate a deal um, in a world that has a vastly different um, economic landscape than um, than than the one that we um, Hmm. that we certainly had before this virus took its toll on the world.
0: Indeed, that's where the offseason began with the passage of a new collective bargaining agreement right before free agency began. And it was a controversial topic at the time. There were many people who felt that players should be voting no. It was a close vote. It passed by, what, 55, 60 votes, correct?
1: 60. 60.
0: 60. So what, in hindsight now, now that we're in late May, getting closer to June, what would a no vote on the CBA have meant for the players in this environment
1: <laughs> um, well if <laughs> if you were an owner and you were looking at let's just conservatively say a a anywhere between a twenty and thirty percent decrease in your personal financial uh, value if you were an owner um, who was looking at a football landscape that would be challenged to include um, gate and and revenue, and if you were an owner who would be taking a forecast of the Economic landscape as it relates to sponsors and other people who provide other revenue for the league. I, I think you would be an owner that would be saying we need to take a drastic rollback in the amount or share of revenue that's going to players. And that would be a very, very difficult landscape for, for, for any union, any group of players to, to operate in and try to negotiate a new agreement. The likelihood of our country being, well, probably it's in a reality, it's probably at 20 percent unemployment now if you actually count um, real workers who are out of work. But uh, what, 33 million people are are out of work right now. Um, you're looking at substantial changes in the industry, the overall industry. Um, The entertainment industry is changing drastically. I think that if we wouldn't have had an agreement on what was already a good deal for players, um, we certainly would be looking at the prospect of negotiating a very different agreement, given the economic impact that that we've seen in, what, three months, two months?
0: So it's fair to say that deal that you got was as good a deal as you could have gotten at that time. and. Now, in hindsight, would have gotten for quite some time. Is that fair?
1: Well, I I think it's very fair. You know, we've we achieved a larger share of the overall pie. I think arguing for a larger share of the overall pie now is that that pie is going to be smaller. And the owners um, have always historically argued that they needed to change the share of revenue based on economic times. One of the reasons that that I've always believed in long-term deals is it insulates you from drastic changes in the overall economy, you know, to the benefit of the players. Right now, if you were an owner, uh, I, I probably don't want to ask the question of of uh, of your employer, but. If you are a employer of a number of people, are you more likely, um, or less likely to be in a position to finance long-term employee, I'm sorry, long-term defined benefit plans? No, you will see, and, and we have seen companies start to make drastic changes, not only in laying off employees, but drastically changing their benefits because when it comes to something like a pension, an employer is on the hook for any downturns in the market and virtually every employer in America right now is figuring out how they change the compensation system for their employees. Um, we know that people who haven't lost their jobs, other companies are putting people on furloughs. They're changing their benefits packages. Um, and those are things that are going to be a part of the new normal, you know, whether there's a real economic justification for it or not. So I'm glad that we got a good deal done. For our men, um, I'm very happy that we aren't in a position now, being in the last year, of what would have been the last year of a deal, trying to negotiate a new long-term agreement in this economic environment.
0: That would have been brutal. And at the time, like I said, there were a lot of people who spoke out against the deal that was on the table that subsequently passed. We heard from popular players like Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson and J.J. Watt and Richard Sherman that they didn't believe the deal should be passed. Have you spoken to any of these players who publicly criticized the deal and has since had a change of heart to you privately? Maybe they haven't, but have any of them spoken to you privately about the deal that wound up getting passed that they criticized so well, publicly
1: we've We've known each other a long time, and you know I've never talked about conversations I have with players and uh, even in a even in a global pandemic, I haven't changed that answer. <laughs>
0: That's right. Just, just do me a favor. Just make sure we get football back in a broad
1: sense. <laughs> is that is that it? That's, only
0: that's, it, that's, my, only fa- that's my only request that's today. It. Make sure that we, okay. that we get this back. That uh, We want everybody to be safe, like you mentioned, the players, the fans, the communities. That, that's obviously critical. But, again, to my earlier point, uh, in my own mind, it's essential that we get this back.
1: Well, look, I, I think it's important, and I know our players want to play Um I know our fans want to see us. Uh, certainly, I, I, I get bombarded everywhere I go with uh, uh, a, either either a question or a statement of when we will, when will we be back? Look, we all want to be back. Um, you know, personally, I want Marilyn lacrosse to be back. So, you know, I think everybody should be of the same mind of how, how we come back. Um, you know, look, Adam, I think there's a couple of touchstones that, that, that are worth repeating. What's good for the country is good for sport. Right. And and if we can move to a world where there is increased nearly mass testing, um, that's not only good for the country. That's that's good for sport. Um, if we are able to accurately identify um, the the spread or the, yeah, the, the landscape of the spread and where outbreaks occur, you can you can make better uh, informed decisions of when to play and where to play. So, you know, I think one of the things that that everybody in the business of sport should be talking about is this idea that what's good for the country is good for, for sport in America. Making smart decisions about the allocation of resources in areas where um we need it, those are those are not only good, you know, sport decisions or for the business of sport, those are great decisions on keeping our community safe um, because the one thing that that jeopardizes um, our business is not only you know if and when we come back but also being able to come back and staying back yeah right um, and and nothing would be more disastrous I think yeah both economically and um, and, and for a morale decision Yep. is to be in a world where we haven't made the right haven't asked the right questions, haven't made the right decisions, we don't know um, things that we should know at the time, and for whatever reasons we have to suspend operations to me, that would be um probably the worst case scenario that any of us would face because it would necessarily mean that we are suspending operations because um Um, we now see a a new and more dangerous threat to the community.
0: Well, that, that would be the hope now, right? That, again, there are perhaps a couple of months until training camp starts. We know more about the virus today than we did, even though there is more to know. And you would like to think that your group, the task force, the NFL, society as a whole, everybody's going through what they need to in the event that if there are additional cases, there is a second wave, whatever it may be that we as a society and you as a sport are prepared to tackle this and handle it in a way that wouldn't devastate it and shut it down. Like this is the time everybody should be gearing up and preparing for that time so that that doesn't and can't happen.
1: Well, and, and nothing is more important in that matrix then being able to know um, where the virus is um, through mass testing and then being able to quickly identify um, where outbreaks or hotspots happen so that you can make smart decisions about strategic um, lockdowns um, and and strategic reopenings. No one is going to will this away. Um, you, You can't stick your head in the sand and just simply say, you know, we're going to take course A or course B and let and, and, and let things fall where they may. Um, if you are truly a sports fan and you want to make sure that um, you have your daily diet of access to sports in America, it's, it's very simple. What's good for the country is good for sports.
0: Well, Dee, I really appreciate you coming on today. I never would have thought it would have been over three years to get you on. I never would have thought it would have taken a global pandemic to get you on, that we'd be spending the majority of our time talking about a virus. But look, this is the world we're living in, and strange things happen sometimes, right?
1: I'm just glad you ran out of people to talk to, um, and finally got to me in three years. I think that's that's probably the highlight of my off season.
0: Yeah, that, that's the older story, right? We're down, we're down to the last few. Well, let's, let's try episode. to get the executive director of the NFLPA on finally. That, that's not a bad idea.
1: It's uh, it, it, yes, that, that's it. It's, it's either that guy or Carrot Top. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna go with D.
0: Hey, D, thanks very much. Enjoy the time with your family. Uh, don't let your son drink too much at the dinner table, and we will be in touch in the near future.
1: All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon.
0: And there is the executive director of the NFL Players Association, D Smith. Before we get to the team physician for the University of Michigan and the Detroit Lions, Dr. Ashish Betty, first the word from State Farm, Scotty and Mike, Kobe and Shaq, LeBron and Wade, just a few NBA duos that are undeniably the real deal. Draft a State Farm agent to your team and get help combining the ultimate duo, home and auto insurance. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Now, the team physician for the University of Michigan and the Detroit Lions, Dr. Ashish Betty. Dr. Betty, I hope and trust that all is going well in the state of Michigan.
2: Thanks, Adam. Yeah, we're, um, you know, fortunately, things are, are looking optimistic and hopefully some light at the end of the tunnel of this COVID crisis. So I appreciate the opportunity to be here and for for having me.
0: It's not often that I get to speak to an orthopedic team surgeon on the podcast, unusual times. But I'd like to know, as somebody who's connected to both Michigan, the University of, and the Detroit Lions, can you share your insights on the elements
2: of pursuing a safe 2020 season amidst the COVID crisis? (laughs) It's a... Great question Adam and I, and I know obviously one of the most topical ones on the on the minds of everybody around sports anyway. You know you you definitely um you know uh, don't see a pandemic often. It's a bit of a once in a century event we hope. And so it's uncharted waters I think for for every facet certainly for the NCAA and D1 teams like Michigan and for the professional sports and NFL. I'm not sure anyone has all the answers right now, but I, but I do feel like one thing is clear that as we start to put our toe in the water and push forward It's going to require a tremendous amount of, you know, flexibility, adaptability, just understanding that we might have to continue to pivot and evolve just as COVID does. Um, And Mm -hmm. as we see what's happening in the general population and across the country to make sure that we're always keeping, um, you know, the central priority of keeping the athletes, you know, the teams and, and truly the greater teams, everybody around the sport, fans, everyone safe you know for me it's a you know to to answer your question i think the cornerstone of moving forward here is to recognize that you know the very things that have allowed us to be a little um successful you know certainly in the state of michigan feeling like things are headed in a better direction is to make sure that we keep our guard up you know the cdc recommendations of you know minimizing exposure still hold true you know while while maybe the numbers look more optimistic you know we we don't have a vaccine yet and All the things that have, um, you know, that are going to be critical social distancing whenever possible inside, outside the buildings and training facilities, face masks whenever appropriate, you know, critical hygiene for the facilities, hand washing, all those implementations, of course, have to be there, um, particularly when you're having a gathering of athletes and teams. But I think another key additional component to this, which I know many bright minds are looking into, uh, you know, at the NFL, at the NCAA, and for us at the Big Ten level, is comprehensive and frequent testing you know so as we get a better sense of of uh you know how frequently and and rapidly we can do that um for team and personnel that'll give us real time knowledge if a person is a you know so called uh under investigation or a covid positive case and then that gives you the ability to rapidly contact trace them and to contain that that potential infection but so i think We're it's going to be that. you know to to do this safely it's going to be a lot of these aspects coming together you know recognizing that football anyway is a contact sport by nature so there's going to be aspects of this that are a unique challenge, um, you know, unchartered territory for us to, to figure out. Can
0: you even worry about, think about the idea that doctor scientists are forecasting a potential second wave coming through in the fall and winter, right when hopefully Dr. Betty were in the heart of football season? What would that be like for somebody in your position as, like I said, the team physician for the University of Michigan and the Detroit
2: Lions? Yeah, I think um it's it's um I think it's a real concern, Adam, and obviously that'd be incredibly, you know, devastating not just for sports and seasons, but for the economy and so many facets of our life. And I think that's why it's so critical that our behavior in the upcoming months will have such a critical influence on what we're seeing in the following months. You know, I, I think as we start to see things loosen a bit and um, you know, feeling like this first wave is behind us that um, we absolutely recognize that we can't let our guard down. And I think it's it's exactly what you point out, that, you know, in the fall, um, it's really going to be about continuing those uh, those safe measures that might have us avoid seeing a second wave becoming a major or even more devastating second peak. You know, if that were to happen, um, and despite all of the the safeguards that we have in place, I think that gets back to the need to be able to pivot quickly. You know, if we see that um, affecting players, athletes, um, fans, fans, you know, um, in, in whatever capacity that we're able to have them in the stadiums and around sports, I think we need to quickly, um, you know, recognize that our priority will always be safety. Um, and and if that means that we have to um, change our workflow, um, abridge seasons, modify, modify how we're working through things, that just has to happen.
0: Very unusual off-season, Dr. Betty. No visits with any players, no workouts in person. So I guess I have a two-part question. Here. Number one, How have you cared for your athletes recovering from injuries and surgeries? Um, And number two, how much do you foresee it being a problem where when players are showing up for camp and the Lions have 90 guys going to camp or Michigan has however many players they do reporting for work, how many injuries do you think that you're just going to stumble into where a guy just shows up and, oh, he's got a torn labrum?
2: It's a a great question, um, Adam. And I I guess I would say – there's few things that feel like a silver lining about COVID and a pandemic. But I guess one silver lining has been, and I think all of us are feeling this both inside healthcare and outside of it, is all the things that we actually can do virtually. You know, I'm fortunate to be a part of a great team of training staff at Michigan and Detroit, um, you know, great medical teams across the board. And uh, there was a rapid pivot to using, you know, uh, video visits and forums like Zoom and others to, you know, contact players regularly. As you know, the clubs are in the midst of, of sort of virtual off-season type of meetings and work. Um, we did the same, you know, players that had off-season surgery or off-season injuries, engaging them regularly. You also, um, you know, have the benefit of your colleagues and great team physicians across the country. And if there's a time to work together, it's been now, you know, where, where you lean on the experts in their respective areas where the players are to prioritize their safety. So rather than have them come to us and risk air travel and exposure, you reach out to other team physicians in the local area, and they've helped with remote exams, you know, making sure guys are on target, physical therapy programs. So we've been, um, you know, blessed in that regard to to have somewhat seamless care as best we can. Your point's a good one. You definitely worry, you know, that you sort of get surprised when people come in that they're either behind schedule, they didn't look as good as you thought they would, or they come in with a torn meniscus or torn labrum. My hope is that that'll be the exception rather than the rule because we have been so good about being able to t- touch base with them virtually, um, have them update us on progress um, as we can, and particularly for those that are rehabilitating after a significant injury that we know about, even making sure that they are getting some on-site local care in a safe safe fashion, whether that's here or elsewhere. Um, but I, I think the, the point is a good one, which is it's required a, a unique and unprecedented sort of trust that the players are investing in their care, that we can do the best we can remotely. Uh, and, and um, you know, it'll it'll be a new experience. Uh, certainly felt that way for, for the draft and, and for free agency where a lot of that work was done remotely.
0: Now, Dr. Betty, correct if I'm wrong, you're a father, correct? I am. Okay. And you're a husband, correct? I am. Maybe not a very good one, Adam, but I am. <laughs> and, your, and your wife is also a doctor, correct? Yes, she is. She's a better one. She's a gastroenterologist. Okay. So what is that like? at a time like this in our country, to have two doctors who have to, I would imagine, come into contact with people, have no choice but to come into contact with people, and have kids to care for at home.
2: Yeah, um, you know, I don't I, I don't want to, um, uh, by any means, uh, you know, celebrate us, Adam. There's, you know, families, um, dual physician families that, are, that even have providers, ER physicians and others that are on the front lines. Of this crisis. But I will say, um, really out of respect to all of them, its um, it is has it is a, a, been a challenging time. You know, you worry about the safety of your family. And we have little kids, a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. And, um, you know, you want to make sure that you're doing right and caring for your patients. Um, you know, COVID can't allow us to stop caring for our patients. You have to figure that out. You know, for me, it's been a blessing to have a very understanding spouse. It's also been a blessing to have a very, very understanding health system um, that recognizes um, what we do. And is help to work with us um, so that we can stagger our workflow to a degree. Um, I would be lying to you if I told you that it hasn't required some quarantining. You know, I I sort of, when I feel like I'm in a high exposure environment, um, stay a little bit away from things. And it's hard uh, to not see kids and family at this time, but it's sort of what all of us have to do, um, you know, to, to make sure that we're caring for everybody who needs us right now. What's the longest you've quarantined yourself from your two children? And your wife I, mean, I think i probably made it it's a little hard with the four-year-old i think he, yeah we violated that policy but i think i probably made it made it 10 days here and there uh and uh i find myself uh you know in the in the basement more often than not but that's okay it gets me it gets me out of chores too
0: <laughs> now you talk about caring for your children at home uh, you also get to care for like i said student athletes at michigan and then players the lines and there's some people who work with a college and there's some people that work with an NFL team but there aren't a lot I don't think who cross both boundaries. What is that like to represent both teams uh, and basically come into contact with players? I would imagine that you've worked with at the college level again in the NFL level.
2: Adam, I am um, you know daily remind myself that that's actually kind of a special privilege and not one I take for granted. You know, uh, being a part of the Michigan program here and all the great coaching staff, Coach Harbaugh and, you know, Coach Hoke and all the others that you, you work with um, and all the players, you know, they're talented young men and women, certainly far more talented than I ever was athletically or otherwise. And, you know, as a team physician, it's sometimes in the grind of it all. You take it a little for granted um, how special it is to be a part of their journey. You know, you get to watch them at a young age um, mature mentally. Um, you watch them mature physically. Uh, you know, I remember seeing, for example, Jake Rudock or Graham Glasgow, um, among others who have been players at at, uh, at Michigan who uh, were fortunate to be with us at the club in Detroit and you see them conquer adversity, both injuries or otherwise, and then they become responsible role models and then truly at the professional level stars. And so, you know, to watch them handle that and then to gain their trust as a doc, that, that's been special for me mm-hmm. um, to realize the values, um, you know, that, that you can, that you see them develop on campus that you can be a part of when they're in that very um, moldable phase and then um you know ideally for me if i've done my job well you can still be an unbiased steward for them um when they when they are a professional career and sort of be a sounding board for whatever they need so i feel like it's made me a better doctor um to see these injuries at the college level see them at the professional level i feel like uh it's it's made me uh, uh appreciate uh the the adversity for them at different phases of their life and uh hopefully we'll we'll continue to learn i bet i probably learn more from it than i give but it's been a special privilege
0: how do you get to do all that team physician work while running a sports medicine division and keeping shop for your day job of being an orthopedic surgeon?
2: I, I think many great mentors, Adam. You know, I I, uh, I can't take credit for that. I've been had the privilege both at Michigan and Hospital for Special Surgery. Jimmy Andrews. You know, so, so many um, who do this. And and for me, I think the key is to remember that at the end of the day, I am a doctor, um, a doctor for my patients, a doctor for the for the athletes. And as a surgeon, particularly, you got to stay sharp to your craft, hone your hone your skills. And for me, that's needs to be seeing patients. So uh, just like I am today here, um, you know, on this on this between this uh, call, you know, doing surgery and multitasking is a must. And being available for patients and accessible is a must. And so for me, um, it it requires a great team, people that let you multitask. You can't do any of this on an island. Um, You know, while I'm doing this work, the athletic trainers in Detroit are you know, doing off-season work with the, with the players virtually, and same here at Michigan. And so it's a partnership. You have great team physicians who do it together, uh, trainers, therapists, everybody helps you to be to extend yourself. Um, but for me, I, I, I think uh, I've learned from great mentors that some of the best surgeons, the best team physicians who, you know, as I walk in their footsteps, I think part of it is for them to constantly have the humility to recognize we're all learning. So you, you have to be in the OR in the clinic to learn from your patients. You mentioned Dr. James Andrews. Was he one of your mentors your main mentor? Uh, boy, uh, you know it's a it's a uh, a privilege. Uh, I never formally got the opportunity to train directly with a uh, with a uh, uh, Dr. Andrews Adam, but Dr. Andrews I feel like is a mentor for all of us. Any of us wow. who are a team physician, you know, if I see him across the field at a Redskins game or you know connect with him at a bowl game, and every time you have cases, you share them with him. I've had some great ones. Russ Warren at special surgery. Dave Allcheck. Uh, Kylie Anderson and Bruce Miller, my colleagues in Detroit and, and Ann Arbor, and uh, you know uh, uh, Dan Cooper, Jim Bradley, so many of the physicians in the NFL who have done it for so long. Uh, you you learn a lot from them. You share cases with them, and as you go through this journey, you feel like uh, like there's there's a, a lot to to benefit from those who have done it before you.
0: So just like a young quarterback would go over to Tom Brady before a game, you would have no problem going over to a senior physician who's been around the business and well-established, improved himself over time. It's not any different in the medical world than it is in the athletic world when we combine the two together in the medical athletic world, correct?
2: I, I think that's the way, Adam. I think sometimes it's hard, uh, you know, as you become an established uh, athlete, established surgeon, established anything, sometimes it's hard to feel like you need advice. And for me, I constantly remind myself that there's nothing better than than to get more more uh, minds in the room, uh, benefit from others that are teaching you, and you know, I'm not doing my job well if I'm not open to a second opinion. So for me, that's always the litmus test that if I'm doing it well and my thought process is right, then they're only going to support me in, in caring for, for that athlete. It's funny how that happens at
0: every walk of life, every turn, my business, your business, sports business, every business. Everybody looks to certain people to see how the job is done. All right, Dr. Betty, before I let you go, being close to the school in Michigan like I am, I, I know that you were trying to build something in Michigan called m uh, can you give people an idea of what that is and what your vision
2: there is? Yeah, thanks, Adam. Um, you know, now having been at the university, boy, getting old 11 or 12 years as a faculty, hmm. I've wanted to have an opportunity to build a, a, you know something special for for athletes that will outlive my career. And uh, it's a unique vision uh, that I've invested this phase of my life in. Uh, and, and what it really is, Adam, is the it's called the Michigan Center for Athletic Medicine and Performance, MCHAMP. And it's the mission to be the most trusted destination for the care of athletes. And oftentimes when you say athletes in my business, people think professional athletes or the Wolverines. And of course, we want to provide awesome care to them. But a lot of it is about every athlete, right? We're all active. We all pursue sports. Um, It's the young athletes that are adolescents. It's recreational athletes um, uh, like myself, professional athletes or maturing athletes. You know, Michigan, um, as you know, having been an alumni, right, it's a unique and special place with multidisciplinary care and research um, from corner to corner of the campus, and I represent orthopedics as a facet of what I do every day. But but being an athlete is about so many other challenges. It's mental health, nutrition, cardiac care, neurology and concussions, performance. And I feel like the maze and Blue, having been here, um, has, a, has unique resources on this campus that if you brought them together, allows you to offer great clinical care um, for the athlete, sort of what I do day to day, but have it be a seamless experience where people from across the country would want to be here um, to, to always know that they're getting evidence-based unbiased care that's always pushing the limits um, to, to for them to achieve their their best recovery. Hmm. So that's the mission. That's the vision, Adam. And it's a journey because it requires an investment of resources. It requires a commitment in principle. But I do feel with the athletic department, phenomenal coaches, um, great partners at the health system, um, it's one that we can definitely realize here.
0: But MCHAMP may turn into a medical destination where – I don't know, agents are sending their athletes in future years, the way that people send them to Dr. James Andrews or Dr. Robert Anderson or wherever it may be, correct?
2: Yeah. You know, um, I, I think that would be the goal. And, and, and boy, I would, I would love to you know have the reputation or ability to deliver care as great as, as them for, for the respective conditions I treat, but that would be the goal and have it be beyond just those single singular aspects of what we do in sports medicine in terms of ligament and tendon injuries and fractures be about the whole athlete and about all those other facets. I I think we could do that here and and do it well. I have no
0: doubt that you will do that over time. And I want to thank you very much for your time today, Dr. Betty. It's been a pleasure getting to know you over the years. You've become a friend. Uh, I appreciate your time today, your insight. And I wish you and your family continued uh, health
2: and success and all those things like that. And, again, thank you for everything. Uh, Thanks so much, Adam. I appreciate it. Stay safe. And hopefully we're both standing on a sideline in the fall. Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> Take care. Thanks again.
0: And there is Dr. Ashish Betty, the head orthopedic team physician for the University of Michigan and the team physician for the Detroit Lions. And from Dr. Betty, we go into this week's version of your
1: Ask Adam questions. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. Ask
2: Adam. Ask Adam. Ask Adam. We should ask Adam. And so then we could ask Adam. And for
0: that, we bring in my great producer, Christina Buswell. Christina, I hope we got some good questions for the week.
2: We
3: do. Quite a few people have tweeted in. I know we've talked a lot about football returning, whether or not there's going to be training camp. Sam on Twitter wants to know, Adam, if there is no training camp or if there is a limited training camp, how is this going to affect late round picks or undrafted free agents fighting for a roster spot this season?
0: Well, Sam, there's going to be training camp at some point because they're just not going to go straight into a season. It wouldn't work out from a health standpoint, and that is D. Smith's job is to make sure that players are put into a situation in which their health is not compromised as much as it is in a physically trying and challenging sport. So there's going to be training camp, Sam, but your point is well taken. I think without an off-season program in person, there are going to be fewer opportunities and more pressure on late-round picks and undrafted free agents to try to make the roster. Usually, during mini camps, there are undrafted free agents that just jump out. They stand out. And so they'll get that chance during training camp, but instead of there being 12 or 13 OTA sessions that they can't do it, there now are a certain number of training camp practices. And look, the preseason schedule is probably going to wind up getting reduced as well, I would think. Maybe they play the full schedule of preseason games. We're still waiting to see that, but... The opportunities for these players will be fewer. And maybe there'll be a guy this year, maybe there'll be multiple guys this year, Sam, that are cut in training camp. that have to try again next year. And we've seen that happen before, where guys have been cut multiple times before they find a job and a home in the National Football League. And that may be the case this year. You're right, Sam, going to be tougher than ever on undrafted free agents.
3: I definitely think it's a good thing to look into. Another Twitter user wants to know, Kara wants to know, Adam, I was listening to your conversation with James Conner. What are the most interesting methods that you're hearing that teams are using in order to work out with each other or just to hold team meetings? Conner had mentioned he's been practicing at Big Ben's house. Have you heard other players doing much of the same thing, practicing at each other's houses?
0: Well, Kara, look, we've seen Tom Brady gather players together in Tampa, working out. I, I know there are a bunch of quarterbacks like Sam Darnold and Josh Allen um, working out in California. I really think the players are kind of going through their routines as they normally do. Now, I know there are the guys like Kirk Cousins, who the ESPN reporter Kimberly Martin profiled recently on NFL Live where he's working with his trainer out of his in-law's house in Orlando. I mean, so there, there are going to be exceptions, but I think there are a lot of guys who are just going about their off-seasons the way they normally would, training on, on high school fields, at home. Now, the difference is, like I said, like I mentioned to Sam earlier in the first question, a lot of times they'd go to their respective cities and participate in the off-season program and go through those OTAs, but that that's not happening at all this year. There are all the virtual Zoom sessions, uh, but the on-field workouts don't exist. Being in person at a training facility doesn't exist. And so what those players are doing before the offseason programs begin, say, April 1, they're just continuing on through the offseason. That's what's happening. That's what you're seeing right now, Kara.
3: And with such an interesting and unique offseason, one Twitter user actually has two questions. Andrew wants to know, during the season, do you get a lot of input on player health from Stefania Bell? I'm curious to know. Do you work closely with her to talk about player health, especially coming up on a season like this where we are kind of expecting players to maybe have more injury risk? I'd love to hear you two talk player recovery and their journey back into the game in the future.
0: Well, Andrew, um, in regards to my work with Stefania Bell, we often work together during the season where I'll go to her more than she'll come to me to say, hey, uh, I'm hearing about this knee injury. Can you just help make sense of this to me. And, and she knows a lot of things. And, and there have been times also where going into a Sunday where there are a large group of injuries that I'm checking on, I'll run a past her I'm like, hey, are you hearing this guy's going to play, this guy's not going to play, this guy, da 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 And, and we've done that a couple of times, and, and she's excellent at her job. And anyone who watched what Stefania Bell did with Alex Smith this offseason knows how wise she is in her area. And that was a great job that she did. For those who haven't seen the Alex Smith piece on E60, they should definitely go watch it on demand or on the E plus app. It, it just excellent work by Stefania Bell. And so we, we don't often work together, but every now and then we do. And I have often found that when we do the information usually is spot on. So uh, again, I'd uh, like to do it more in the future and, um, we'll see whether we do that and you said andrew had two questions christina he does he second? actually
3: has a second question he said also following up i hope you had a great memorial day weekend adam did you get the chance to watch tom brady with phil mickelson versus peyton manning and tiger woods if so who did you root for tom or peyton
0: well christina let me just say that i would watch a game of twister between tom brady and Peyton Manning.
3: <laughs> this time, okay? i think so, we all would
0: so of course i watched that and i sat around and, and i enjoyed it because it was just something and Somebody said to me, uh I I I didn't really like it. I I didn't get a lot out of it. I'm like, something is better than nothing. I liked it. I you know, first of all, I love watching Peyton Manning and Tom Brady do anything. Like I love watching Peyton Places uh on the E plus app and and I love you know the Tom Brady stuff, anything with that, that's that's fun to watch to me as well. Um and so I I had no problem and I love watching golf. Love watching golf during the offseason and golf matches. And I'm looking forward to that coming back in June. That should be great. And you you go and you know it's not going to be like watching the Masters or the PGA. It's not going to be that. It's a fun, friendly competition for a great cause. They raised $20 million. You know, listen, Andrew, I liked it. I liked it. it. It was not the greatest athletic competition that I ever watched. I can't say if the NBA playoffs were going on and 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 we were the, the throes of that and and there were golf matches would I watch that I, I don't know I, maybe not but with nothing else going on it's like I mean it, it, it's a little bit like right now right like I never ate a lot of leftovers but we eat everything in our refrigerator right now Christina everything right so it, everything's fun it, it all works and and that's sort of what that is there aren't a lot of options for entertainment there are not a lot of food options sometimes so we eat the leftovers and we watch the match Because it raised $20 million for charity and involved a lot of great sports legends.
3: I couldn't agree with you more. I watched myself and it was entertaining.
0: It it did its job, right?
3: Exactly.
0: Exactly. So that should do it for this week's episode of the Adam Schefter podcast. A special thanks to Dr. Ashish Betty, the team physician for the University of Michigan and the Detroit Lions. Special thanks to the executive director of the NFL Players Association, D. Smith. And special thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week. We'll be back with another podcast. And until then, be well and stay safe.